our history, you know, America and the history of how they treat the black, black people, period, is just not good. African-American experience has been one of experimentation uh, and uh, really some really horrendous treatment. We're like, I don't want a vaccine. No, thank you. This is mistrust that has developed over hundreds of years. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome, everyone, to the Debrief podcast. I'm your host, Erica Byfield, in for David Ushery. Today, we're taking a close look at the pandemic's toll on black and brown communities, specifically the race to get those people vaccinated. Numbers show that black and brown people are getting infected and dying at a higher rate And yet a small portion of that population is vaccinated or plans on getting it, period. We've learned that there's a doctor along New Jersey shore who's on a mission right now to do something about that. Let's hear about the progress that he's made so far. At Hackensack Meridian Health Jersey Shore University Medical Center, IT specialist Dennis Hubbard sees the worst of the pandemic. I'm in the emergency room. I'm on the floors that's designated for COVID floors, and I'm watching them as they die. You know, I see them there one day, and then they die the next. Still, he had no interest in getting the vaccine. It was in my head that, you know, it's not a good thing to take. The government will experiment on you. Hubbard's fears are hardly unique, despite the fact that black Americans die at nearly twice the rate as whites from COVID. A recent survey found that one-third of black adults probably or definitely won't get vaccinated. Reasons include fears of contracting the virus, distrust of vaccines, and skepticism about how it was tested. It's very, very deep historical issue. At Columbia University, Dr. Olagide Williams says this is the reality. Uh, the African-American experience has been one of experimentation uh, and a really some really horrendous treatment. Most notorious, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. In 1932, researchers tricked hundreds of black men in Alabama, telling them that they'd get treatment for the disease only to stand by, and despite knowing that penicillin could treat them, did nothing. The government-backed scheme continued into the 1970s, and then there were the experiments performed on enslaved women and operations on others without anesthesia. Others were used for research without their permission, most notably Henrietta Lacks. Dr. David Kuntz is facing those historical horrors head-on in his mission to vaccinate people of color. I think it's presumptive to say a single conversation will necessarily change a lot of people's mind, but we have to stick with it. He uses his own vaccination seen here in December as a starting point. One of the first questions I get is, well, did you get the shot? And I said, I did. And I said, I felt great about it. But typically that's not enough to win people over. I talk to them for a few minutes and they just look back at me and they just shake their head and they just don't feel comfortable. Count Dennis Hubbard among them. I was honest with them. I told them that, you know, I'm a black man in America. Um, our history, you know, America and the history of how they treat the black, black people, period, is just not good. There was a similar message being delivered at Southern Baptist Church in Asbury Park by Pastor Samaj Van Zant. I just let them know my truth, right, that I'm, we're not going to get vaccines and, don't, and do not get it. Enter Dr. Kuntz preaching his truth. Sometimes it's both the message and the messenger. He was one of the first people that I talked to who did not deny the history, right, of the medical community and black and brown communities. That frank conversation combined with a mountain of research for the pastor changed everything. 
didn't see myself coming around, but I am um, uh, glad I did. Did he ever? Getting ready to register you for the vaccine. Now his church holds vaccine registration phone drives, recently helping 200 black people in the area get vaccinated in one week. He finds plenty of resistance. We meet the people who were just like me. <laughs> who were like, I don't want a vaccine. No, thank you. Yet he presses on, bringing up former one-time church member Douglas Hill when he must. Hill recently died from COVID, a very real reminder of the danger within his congregation. I'm going to keep at it as long as I can. Um, we are in a, a pandemic. This is a, a crisis time. And so many entities of our society are hurting because of it. Dr. Kuhn says if you understand the science of the vaccine, then it all comes down to a matter of heart. Really think about uh, not just yourself, but our community. Um, that we want our children to go back to school. We want to see our our parents and our grandparents. Back at Jersey Shore University Medical Center, it's an appeal that spoke directly to Dennis Hubbard, who finally got the vaccine. I actually feel, I feel a lot safer now as I walk, as I do my job, um, as I go home, you know, and the people that I'm around, my loved ones, I feel better that I'm around them, that I'm protected against COVID, knowing that I won't pass the virus, you know, if I did come in contact with it onto them. We want to welcome Dr. Olajide Williams. He's a professor and chief of staff and chief medical officer of neurology at Columbia University, who, as you heard, knows all about the historical reasons behind the mistrust, and now he is trying to combat it. Dr. Williams, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. So tell us, what can we do about this? Obviously, it still feels like there's a lot of mistrust out there. Yeah, there's a lot of mistrust and trust needs to be earned. This is mistrust that has developed over hundreds of years. It's not something that we can snap our fingers and it just disappears. It's something that we have to work at earning it back. And I think that this the issue around vaccines has really brought a sharp focus on the issue of mistrust between the black community and the healthcare system. Uh, and so I think one of the things that we need to do more and more of is just partnering with our communities. You know, when a healthcare system comes into a community, it needs to be true partners with that community. It needs to work with community leaders. It needs to basically have the community bring to the table the type of concerns that they have, be it over a particular illness that's ravaging the community or be it over the way they feel they're being treated by the medical institutions. So these partnerships at the community level, these very granular partnerships need to take place. And that's what we're rushing to do. You know, we're rushing now to establish partnerships with community leaders, with black churches, with black influencers. And, and we're rushing to do that now. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can, you know, move the needle when it comes to mistrust for the medical community, because we certainly need it more than ever for our collective survival. That kind of leads me into my next question. The last time we spoke, you told me that you are fully vaccinated. Did you have any of these concerns that so many other people still have before you got the vaccine? I didn't. And, and I'm probably not a good representative of the larger community for many reasons. You know, I am a scientist and I have reviewed the data through my scientific lens and I respect the integrity of science, especially when multiple safeguards uh, have been in place and multiple independent auditors, independent reviews 
uh, have been in place. Because I myself am familiar with the rigor of the scientific process, and I know the reputation of some of the players, uh, I was very comfortable with receiving the dose. The other thing that we heard, especially from the pastor um, who has the church there on the Jersey Shore, he was telling us that his mind kind of switched on this whole topic when he heard about the protein, like just exactly what this vaccine is made up of. Do you mind describing that to us? Sure. So, you know, a lot of people, Erica, think that the vaccine contains a, a live virus. That's yesterday's vaccines. In the old days, we used to, some vaccines contained live viruses. But now what we do is we basically inject a small mRNA protein and we, we inject it into the individual. It, it contains the genetic codes uh, for the spike protein. The spike protein, if you look at all those colorful pictures of coronavirus, you see these spikes on the surface of the coronavirus sphere. There are the thing that allows the coronavirus to bind to our cells. And, and if you can interrupt those spikes, if you can take out those spikes, you can stop that coronavirus from binding to our cells and replicating and causing havoc. And so what these, the current vaccines do is that they, they, you, you're being injected basically with the genetic code for that spike protein, not the virus itself, but for that spike protein. And then the, the body recognizes, is given the code with which the body now says, huh, now I know how to defeat you. And so this code allows us to produce antibodies, soldiers specifically designed to take out these, anything that has this spike protein on it. And so that's pretty much what happens, you know, so we're not getting injected live virus. We're being injected with the information, the instructions that the body needs to make antibodies against that spike protein, which allows us to defeat the virus when it comes. The other thing the pastor told me that swayed him was the fact that this is not new science. Can you speak to that? Absolutely, Erica. This is not new science. First of all, coronaviruses have been around for a long, long time. This current virus is just one of these coronaviruses. You know, we've had experience with MERS before this. We've had experience with the other SARS and so there are labs all over the world who specialize in coronavirus research. And with the SARS and the MERS experience, there were a number of labs who actually began developing candidate vaccines against those coronaviruses. And we've also we've been working with the mRNA technology for decades now. So none of this was new. None of this suddenly just came out of a hat. And, and that's how we, we were able to produce these vaccines so quickly. So how do we clear up the messaging here? Because clearly, if that is the case, if that's the truth, a lot of people aren't hearing that. Well, I mean, I think that we have to put the messages in the hands of credible messengers. I think we need to create champions um, um, among these credible messengers. I think we need to break down what I just said into very simple, plain layman's terms so that the average person on the street can really understand this. And, and I think that, you know, we need to uh, basically address fear with facts. Uh, and so there needs to be a multi-pronged campaign using all our assets, uh, whether it's media assets, credible messengers on the ground, the way we even communicate messages, making sure those are culturally tailored and adapted, using innovative approaches. We use music at Hip Hop Public Health, for example. I think that there needs to be a multi-pronged, sustained approach anchored around credible messengers uh, for us to really move uh, people on that journey that they need from anxiety and hesitancy through understanding and acceptance. 
let's talk a little bit more about how you're using hip hop to get the word out there. From what I've seen, you're putting together 60 second video clips that feature Daryl DMC McDaniels or Rum DMC. Is that right? Yeah, we're working with DMC. Our ultimate goal is to increase vaccine coverage in, in black communities. And and we do this by deconstructing this vaccine literacy into five topics that are presented in a series of one minute animated videos. You know, we chose animation because it's very it's easier to simplify, break down, explain concepts. You know, what I talked about, about how, you know, the, the vaccine is instructions are translated into antibody formation, which then attacks the COVID, you know, that is, is, is something that lends itself really nicely to animation. It'll be very difficult to do with the live video. And so we chose to go with the five one-minute animated video approach. The first video, which we released last week, is called what, is basically focused on water vaccines and how they work. The second video is focused on whether, how, you know, are vaccines safe and how do we know this? The third one really addresses the common myths. The fourth one talks about what can I expect if I take the vaccine and uh, the importance of the second shot for the currently available vaccines. And the fifth one really talks about the collective need, the community-wide immunity, the so-called herd immunity that's needed for us to get out of this dark pandemic that we find ourselves. And that is really the arc of the anthology. And we're using the anthology as the arrowhead of a larger campaign that really works with partners on the ground to really address the concerns of vaccine literacy. Okay, let's play one of those. You got the vaccine, they got the vaccine, we got the vaccine. We can get back to normal, let me inform you, let's all get the vaccine. It's about community immunity. I'm talking unity for you and me. If Doc says it's good, then trust me, it's good. Now let's all get the vaccine. There is none higher. DMC, I will inspire. Time for us to trust and not debate. The vaccine, believe it's safe to take. Nine out of ten people won't get sick. That's 90% effective and legit. This COVID thing is real and it will find you. It's killing our people. Let me remind you. Back in the days, back in the days, there was polio, smallpox. Back in the days, measles and mumps, man. Back in the days, but because of the vaccines, none of those days. Vaccines, they work to trigger immunity. Two shots, we got antibody security. We gotta act now. No need to wait. Get your vaccine before it's too late. For real. My next question coming out of that video for our listeners today is how did you come up with this idea? Was it this kind of back to that ground floor idea of talking to the people on the floor to make sure that they can help this message get out there? Yeah, well, Hip Hop Public Health, uh, we've been doing this now for um, almost 14 to 15 years. You know, I founded this organization with Dougie Fresh and uh, our very first program really dealt with stroke behaviors and and the failure for people to get to the hospital in a timely manner uh, and benefit from life-saving stroke treatment. So, so we've been doing this for a very long time, Erica. We've, we, we've, we've done work in stroke. Uh, we've done work in Alzheimer's disease. We've done work with healthy eating and nutrition and physical activity. We're about to do some work with cancer. You know, we've done work across the spectrum of public health concerns. What binds all our work is our use of music. You know, music, I'm also a neurologist and I, my, my expertise is in the neuroscience of the brain. And, and I use music for a lot of things therapeutically. You know, music is very powerful. We use it, for example, for stroke patients. It's called melodic intonation therapy, which 
and music can help get a patient who could not speak before and help that patient speak. We use music for agitation. You know, people with dementia uh, benefit um, from music when, you know, when it's tailored to their likes. And so music has incredible therapeutic power, but but cognitively music also has incredible power influence on our learning incredible influence on our memory. You know, think of how we all learn our ABCs. We learn it through song. Think of all the nursery rhymes that are taught through song. You know, think about how music enhances a particular memory, how you remember a particular song uh, and a particular emotional moment in your past. There is strong neuroscientific premise for using music to educate. That is the, the scientific aspect of why music made sense to us. But the cultural aspect is really because our community advisors um, and, and we work with youth over the last 14 years recommended to us that we used hip hop. And that's really where Dougie came in with some of the work that we've been doing over the years. Uh, but we've worked with multiple artists, you know, uh, Chuck D has worked with us, uh, Ashanti's worked with us, Jordan Sparks has worked with us, and DMC has worked with us for many years. And he's the one currently leading this vaccine literacy campaign. Very impressive. Um, so I do have a question. What do we do if, despite all of these efforts, this message still does not get through? What are the next steps? I think this is a message that we have to recognize that there are some people that we will never win over. Uh, just like all vaccination campaigns, you can't win everybody over. What we're targeting is really 80% of the community. That is where we need to be for the virus to begin to peter out. Once we get to that level of herd immunity, that level of community immunity, only then can we start taking off our masks and returning our life to normal. If we don't reach that number, sadly, Erica, this situation is going to continue indefinitely until uh, up to 40 or so million more Americans are infected naturally um, and of which, you know, hundreds of thousands will die um, and we, we achieve herd immunity that way. And that really is an unconscionable uh, thought to consider. Especially when this uh, pandemic is impacting people in the brown and black community so much, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. We're, we're the ones that will suffer the most if we let it run rampage. We shouldn't even be contemplating that number of Americans perishing from this disease. We need to do whatever it is we can to vaccinate up to that number of people. I mean, we recognize that we will not win it. We're not going to win everybody. But I believe that when people are exposed to the truth, when people are exposed to the facts, I believe people are generally very sensible and will do what is in the interest of their community, by and large. As again, as I said, there will be some immovable people, but we don't need them to get to 80%. Yep. Well, we have a long way to go. I think the mayor said we're only at about 10%. Is that accurate? Yeah, it depends on where you are, what part of the country you are. But but we are very far away from that number right now. We have a long, long way to go. I think we're still in the single digits when it comes to community immunity. All right. Well, thank you, doctor. We really appreciate your time um, spreading all this knowledge with us, especially your involvement in the hip hop world and getting this information about the vaccine out there. Thank you again for your time, Dr. Williams. We appreciate you speaking with us. Thank you, Erica. We want to thank you for listening, and we also want to thank our production team. That's Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Erica Byfield, in for David Ushery. We'll check in with you next time on The Debrief.